Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Bite. Bill Press, we've talked to you guys about him before, but... We've got a month of, of promoting Bill Press because he's a good guy. And he's got a new podcast that you guys should check out. It's called The Bill Press Pod. Um, Bill, you guys know, you should know, Google him if you don't know, Bill Press, a longtime progressive, um, has re- has has done things for the cause, such as such as taking on Tucker Carlson on, on Crossfire for years, which alone deserves him, earns him a medal for that really one. really does. Um, he you know, debated Tucker Carlson, to be clear, as opposed to laughing with him like Glenn Greenwald. But I digress. Oh, no, exactly. Bill Press. I could just see Bill like with his glasses sitting there getting like stern and angry, you know, yeah. like Bill would get annoyed and take on liberal. I still does and take on conservatives in a way that a lot of the, the backslapping folks won't. Um, his new podcast is up twice a week. Uh, it's an in-depth interview with a major newsmaker on Tuesday and a roundtable looking back at the big news of the week with Washington reporters on Friday. Uh, to sign up, you just go wherever you go for podcasts, search for The Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe, and then tell your friends to do the same. I would also recommend you uh, give a review if it allows it, like on, on iTunes. We like that too. So for any podcast you like, make sure you give a review, You know, give a great number of stars. That It helps a lot for the podcast. Take it from me. Bill's a great guy. Check out The Bill Press Pod and uh, and subscribe. He's a good guy. Criminalizing abortion so women and doctors are incarcerated has nothing to do with Jesus and blind obedience to celebrity politicians has nothing to do with patriotism. Let's begin. Welcome to Sanity Cast, the little podcast from the Sexy Liberals Sexy Liberal Podcast Network by Stephanie Miller that believes depression is a disease, negativity is a habit, Hannity is the opposite of sanity. If we're all in this together, then despair is privilege. You can feel down, but back in the game because we need you. Despondency is not an option. This is the show where we prove that Donald Trump is a lot like hydroxychloroquine. No proven benefit. 
And we are recording from the epicenter of the outbreak here in New York City. Uh, this episode, all the things Trump will have taught us when this is over. Eight of 10 Americans already support single payer. A conversation with one of the most creative, clever, witty comedians working today, Mike Kaplan, uh, and a special tribute to Donald Trump's sons, Fredo and Shemp. Now, first off, let me let me just get one thing out of the way here. Um, I'm not here to uh, give the president a hard time. He's having a rough year. And you have to understand that he's in spite of what he says and in spite of how really healthy he looks, he's having a rough year. His worst nightmare came true earlier this year. Not the impeachment, his wife's birthday. He's now married to a woman in her fifties. His worst nightmare just came true. And this week we're about to hit 100,000 American souls lost to a virus that he did nothing about, lied about, called a hoax for months. The ban from China was not a ban from China. We were the 38th country to do it. 40,000 people have traveled from China to the States since then with no tests, no mandatory quarantines. And apparently our cases came in from Europe. So uh, he's done nothing but lie and blame. And he's having a rough time. I mean, Attorney General Barr just revealed that he's not going after Obama or Biden. He more or less said Obamagate is a lie. Don Jr. called Joe Biden a pedophile and nobody noticed. Uh, Justin Amash canceled his plans to help try to reelect Trump. That's going to hurt in the swing states. Uh, Eric says the Democrats are hyping the virus so his daddy can't hold rallies. Um, Jared called our virus response a great success story. Uber is cutting another 3,000 workers. And Barack Obama gave an address for the graduating class of 2020 on primetime TV that reminded us all presidential address doesn't mean recite a string of compliments about yourself. And now this week, the death toll in the United States will hit 100,000. We are number one in deaths. We are number one in confirmed infections, we are number one in leaders who did nothing and called it a hoax. So now the distractions really have to get turned up to 11. We already know that Donald Trump's mouth is a tennis ball machine that launches little yellow bouncy balls that fly down the court and land in rabbit holes and our media chases down every single one of them. So we don't notice what he's doing with his hands while his mouth is working. Now he says he's taking hydroxychloroquine. Despite the lack of evidence, it prevents infection and an FDA warning about heart-related side effects for coronavirus patients who take it. Also, he doesn't have anything. He's just taking an anti-malarial drug. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's stupid. He's, 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 he doesn't have anything, but he's taking an anti-malarial drug so he doesn't get coronavirus. You see how that works? You see, I really don't want to get Zika virus, so I'm going to start chemotherapy. That's how that works. And a part of him knows he's stupid because comb over Caligula will produce so many outrageous distractions. So we will talk about those instead of the death toll hitting 100,000 Americans. Now, again, hydroxychloroquine has no proven benefit and it's not a drug to prevent things. It's a drug you take once you already have malaria. They told Trump that. They said, Mr. President, hydroxychloroquine is not a prophylactic. And he said, it's OK. I don't use those either. Even Neil Cavuto, Neil Cavuto told his audience, you are taking this as a preventative treatment. It will kill you. I cannot stress enough. If you're in a risky population, this will kill you. So 
watch for Fox News to find a way to put a D after his name. I mean, his own doctor. Did you hear the statement his own doctor put out? Paula Reed of CBS, who's fantastic. Uh, she tweeted out the position memo on Trump's use of hydroxychloroquine. And it says, we concluded the potential benefit from treatment outweighed the relative risks. No mention of zinc or azithromycin. We concluded the potential benefit from treatment. And I'm like, he's taken a malaria drug to avoid a coronavirus, which he's already tested for every day. But potential benefit for treatment? What's being treated exactly? Here, smarter people than me weighed in. Jesse Eisinger on Twitter said, option one, he's taking a medicine that doesn't work and has serious side effects. Option two, he's lying about it. Option three, he thinks he's taking it and his aides are giving him a placebo, which is the worst. Because if you actually read the doctor's note, it doesn't really say it's prescribed to the president for any reason. Jared Yates Sexton tweeted, the president of the U.S., lone holder of the world's largest arsenal of nuclear weapons, told the world he's taking a drug that has among its side effects a, quote, feeling that other people are controlling your thoughts and actions. This is this is our president. The U.S. still surpasses every other country in the world both in the highest total number of cases and the highest death toll, over a million and a half cases. The death toll is going to hit 100,000 this week. Over 340,000 Americans have recovered, but by now all but two states, Connecticut and Massachusetts, are loosening restrictions that are in place to help curb the spread of the virus. Now, there's a smart way to do this, and there's a stupid way to do this. And the latest data from Johns Hopkins shows that at least 10 states that had begun to see a downward trend in the new cases, are now beginning to see the numbers increasing again. L.A. County is seeing it. They began lifting restrictions last Thursday, and they've already seen a rise in new cases and a spike in the death toll. Worldwide, now 5 million people have contracted this. Over 317,000 have died. 1.8 million have already recovered. In Brazil, their cases went up 50% Last week, 15,000 new cases reported on Friday alone. Brazil has now overtaken the number of cases in Italy and Spain. Remember all the horror stories we heard every night from Italy and Spain? Brazil now has the fourth highest number of infections in the world after the U.S., Russia, and the U.K. Pope Francis, he, he gave the first public mass at St. Peter's Basilica in two months on Monday morning to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the birth of St. John Paul II. I'm going to have some words on that probably next podcast about St. John Paul II. Uh, Pope John Paul II was a man with many good qualities. Handling child rape was not among them, but that's not what this is about. In Ecuador, they've got over 33,000 cases, nearly 3,000 deaths since this thing began. In Iran, one of the top three countries or four countries to lie to their citizens about it, along with Russia, the US and China. And Iran, those are the four countries that lied the most and have been hit so hard, they've announced in Iran that although the country has been hit and devastated, they've managed to finally flatten the curve. Iran has had 122,000 cases and 7,000 deaths. That's also according to Johns Hopkins University. So when this is all over, things a million of us will have learned about because the star of Celebrity Apprentice got to be president. We will have learned about hydroxychloroquine and the emoluments clause. We will have learned about articles of impeachment and NDAs. We'll have learned the difference between collusion and conspiracy. We'll have learned quite a bit about New York real estate money laundering, uh, quid pro quos, obstruction of justice, Adderall binges and Adderall crashes, bribing porn stars for silence via third party, and of course, the effects of decades of untreated syphilis. What will your grandkids' term paper be on?
So I want to talk a bit about reopening America. I have never in my life wished harder that the ignorant, mean people will wind up being right and the kind, intelligent people will wind up being wrong. I am rooting for the mean, stupid people. Laura Ingram tweeted, they are not protecting us. They are punishing us. They want to cower in fear. They want us to cower in fear. We are a nation of doers, of strivers, of risk takers. Hashtag reopen America. I want her to be right. If you care about humans, the best case scenario from this horrible plague is that Donald Trump winds up looking great and there's no more deaths and no more loss of life or business. And he can take a lot of credit he doesn't deserve. I mean, that's best case scenario is that it stops at 100,000, right? That they go out and even though all the doctors are saying, don't do this, that the doctors are wrong. Trump said, we have, he said, see, here's the thing. Donald Trump said, we have more cases than anybody in the world. But why? We do more testing. When you test, you have a case. When you test, you find something is wrong with people. If we didn't do any testing, we would have very few cases. Please Google that quote and, and staple it to somewhere and, and use it on your Uncle Racist whenever he says that Trump's a smart guy. If we didn't do any testing, we would have very few cases. You understand what he's saying? If we didn't test for cancer, we'd have very few cancer cases. If you women would stop peeing on sticks, there'd be a lot less babies. He really said it. But the CDC released a statement showing how seven different coronavirus models are showing deaths of Americans are going to go up in the next few weeks and how sharply depends on how much harm reduction Americans still want to practice. The models that factor in strong contact reduction show that deaths will still happen, but it'll slow substantially over the next four weeks. So go back out, but wear masks, everybody wear masks and wash your hands constantly. Don't touch your face. Keep six feet in between you. Models that don't incorporate the strong contact reductions show that deaths may continue to rise quickly. Under the guidelines we have now, states should not start to reopen until they have a downward trajectory of documented cases in a 14-day period or a downward trajectory of positive tests as a percent of total tests in a 14-day period. Our states aren't doing that. They're opening because they want to. The states that are moving to reopen do not meet this criteria. And the U.S. death toll has now exceeded that of the Vietnam War. I mean, it took three months for 61,000 Americans to die. The experts are telling us 54,900 of the people that have perished would still be alive today had the administration acted on the numerous reports and warnings it was getting just two weeks earlier. Here's the biggest flaws. You ready? The biggest flaws in the arguments you're going to hear on Fox News and from Uncle Racist and from your old high school buddy on Facebook who can't spell your correctly. Um, These states are moving to open to some degree. It started last week. It's continuing. In some cases, they're doing it right. We're going to be watching. I've never seen so many people volunteer to be a canary in a coal mine. But here's what's wrong with everyone who's trying to open before the experts, because they're all wrong. The first thing you'll hear, and Hannity's big on this, we've been in lockdown for two months and cases aren't declining, which means social distancing doesn't work. Have you heard that? It actually, it does work. If you've been in quarantine for two months and no one in your family has gotten sick and died and nothing has happened, congratulations. That's the goal. Nothing means it's worked. And it would have been much, much, much worse if we had not enacted restrictions, and it would have been better if we had done it sooner. The experts waited, 
And until it got worse, Fauci was out there in February saying, well, it's looking okay, but let's keep an eye on it. And when it got worse, Fauci told us. They've said if they've been in place two weeks earlier, up to 90%, between 50 and 90% of those who died would still be alive today. The two states with the earliest known community transmission were what? California and Washington. Those two states avoided a surge. New York had a surge, but was able to flatten its curve. The number of cases is declining here in the epicenter. So the second thing you'll hear a lot is, uh, and oh my God, this is a big Breitbart thing, um, herd immunity. You know, instead of preventing COVID-19, let's just let people infect each other and then we'll all have the antibodies and we'll have herd immunity. Okay, that's when enough people in a community, like 60 to 80%, get antibodies either because of a vaccine, but we're not going to wait for that, or they get sick and recover. Okay, so they're banking on herd immunity without a vaccine. Do you understand? Like, we don't know if people get immunity if they've had it. And there's indications that you can get it again. Soldiers on the Roosevelt tested negative twice and then tested positive again. And even if people who recover got immune, an infection rate of 60% would mean 200 million infected Americans, which means millions would die. Literally millions. So no, herd immunity, bad idea. The third thing you'll hear is that most of these cases are mild. So let's keep older people at home and and people with compromised immune systems at home and have the young, healthy people go back to school and go back to work. Now, this argument makes a lot of sense, but there's a lot of problems with it because older people are not the only ones getting coronavirus. One out of five patients, 20% are between the ages of 20 and 44. And many of the younger people are dying of strokes and they still don't know why. Even if young people aren't as likely as older people to get it, they can be what? Asymptomatic carriers. How many times do you have to say it? You can test negative on Monday and on your way down the block, walk through some spores that were left there when a guy coughed in that spot five minutes ago. Now they're in you, but you never get symptoms and you can pass it to 400 people by Friday. Children who are asymptomatic or who show mild symptoms can be highly contagious, according to a lot of the evidence. So it's not a good idea. So the next argument, well, people are getting sick and dying from other diseases in greater numbers than COVID-19, which is the dumbest one, but I've heard it on Fox. Certain stats make it seem like, yeah, this is just another flu, but the increased deaths due to other cases are based on the fact that emergency room and hospital visits are decreasing because people are afraid to go to emergency rooms because they don't want to get infected. So allowing the virus to spread without these restrictions leads to hospital overcrowding. That's what flatten the curve was all about. This inhibits patients from obtaining necessary care. So if your hospital is overrun with disease, a lot of people are just going to take their chances and die at home. If you control the pandemic, it creates confidence and increases people's willingness to go seek care when they're sick. I know it's hard to understand if you think Lindsey Graham's a smart person. And then finally, there's, there's the Lou Dobbs argument. There's the Lieutenant Governor of Texas argument. Ah, the Chris Christie argument. And I had him on my show. It's worth the sacrifice if some of these people die because the country has a functioning economy. Now, I guess there's two kinds of people, right? The ones who understand how evil that is and the ones who hear that and say, oh, yeah, just just let let them die. That's the small price to pay. That's that's where we're at. That's the moral argument they're giving us. 
Sherrod Brown yesterday in, in the hearings actually said, how many workers should give their lives to increase our GDP by a half percent? I mean, it's a false choice. There's ways you can safely reopen. Other countries have shown us. This is the most morally empty thing you've ever heard. I mean, it, it, let people die. Just open it up. It's worth a sacrifice. Who, who decides exactly who dies? And where, why do you get to commit other people to sacrifice their lives in ways they did not choose? I mean, individual liberty does not take precedence over public health and well-being of the less fortunate. And is there anything funnier? Then you seeing these right-wing Tea Party folks showing up saying, we don't care, we'll take the risk. Our bodies, our choice. <laughs> 60% of us wear masks that are 60% effective. We can slow it down. You know, it's really simple. Just, just wake up every day, every morning, look in the mirror and say to yourself three times, today, I am not going to be the one to put someone else in the hospital, even by accident. We had a strategy of containing the disease. And now we have given up on the strategy that was harm reduction. We've given up on it. Eric Trump, of course, says a political party uh, called the Democrats are, uh, are milking this. Eric Trump said that the Dems are loving this. Eric Trump said the Democrats are loving this pandemic. It's like he's like he's blaming the Democrats for his father doing nothing and lying for several months. And now the Democrats love all this suffering. He said we can't have our rallies. Um, Eric I know that in a family of Fredos, you're the reek. Uh, Democrats can't have rallies either, Beavis. Democrats can't have their rallies either. And and by the way, look, I understand Derek. Eric Trump is the reason Don Jr. believes himself to be smart. I get it. But but here's the thing. Eric is saying essentially that a political party is exploiting coronavirus for crass political purposes. And they don't really care about the dead because after the election, they'll never mention it again. That's what Eric said, right? Okay, now replace the word coronavirus in that sentence with Benghazi. And hear it again. A political party is exploiting Benghazi for crass political purposes. And they don't really care about the dead because after election day, they'll never mention it again. <sighs> God rest Fred Willard. All right. Uh, one last thing. I don't know if you saw this. Um, like most of you, I care about everything Donald Trump Jr. does. Uh, and he... He uh, Instagrammed this meme that accused Joe Biden of being a pedophile. Never mind the fact that his father was accused in court of raping an underage girl. His father's on tape boasting of sexual assault. This is what Junior did because, you know, think about it. Imagine if like your goal in life was to get your dad to love you. And then imagine your dad is the worst white man on the East Coast. So you understand. And, and you have unlimited, you have unlimited privilege. But like, Here's the thing. Trump Jr. did this and no one cared. It didn't make any news. He, he called his dad's opponent a pedophile and, you know, a grifter weary world yawned. Can you imagine Sasha and Malia Obama calling Mitt Romney a pedophile? Can you imagine Jenna or Barbara Bush calling John Kerry or Chelsea Clinton calling Bob Dole a pedophile or Ron Reagan or Amy Carter ever casting their dad's opponent as a pedophile? Everyone would be to some degree shocked and outraged, right? But when Fredo Cubes does it, a gaslit nation shrugs. Okay, I'm really, really happy that Mike Kaplan agreed to join us today on the podcast. Now, you might not know Mike. If that's the case, take a break and go listen to one of his albums on Spotify or Apple, or better yet, uh, buy it and give an artist a, a little bit of money. Um, he's a comic who's 
played on The Tonight Show, on Conan. You saw he was on Letterman. He was on with James Corden. He's been a finalist on both Last Comic Standing and America's Got Talent. His debut album was called Vegan Mind Meld. It was named one of iTunes' top 10 comedy albums of the year. He is um, just completely hilarious. He does beautiful, witty wordplay. He's someone who's truly progressive. He's vegan. He's polyamorous. He's into ayahuasca. He's the real deal. And he's one of the kindest extremely funny people I've ever met. And in many ways, kindness has been a way of him achieving his edge, which is why I find his art to be so profoundly funny and interesting and liberal. So he just released a brand new comedy album. It's called AKA. It was based on a show he took to Edinburgh Fringe Fest in 2018. And you can get AKA on Apple Music, iTunes, uh, BlondeMedicine.com. Please enjoy our conversation with Mike, M-U-M-Y-Q, Mike Kaplan. Anybody quarantining with kids? I have friends who are. With libraries, schools, and bookstores closed, Literati has you covered with something truly unique. This subscription book club for kids was founded by two women, two amazing women, to make it easy to find interesting books delivered straight to your doorstep. That's awesome. No more scrolling online trying to find that perfect book for your child or give as a gift. Parents are running out of ideas in quarantine. Literati does all the work for you. Each Literati box contains five books based on a theme with exclusive original art and a personalized note to your child. These are going to Travis's nephews and my ex's newborn. If zero to 12, man, Literati knows at-home deliveries are so important in the weeks ahead to meet your need for attention-grabbing educational materials. Reading books as a family creates a sense of adventure and bonding. And with their curated selection, only keep your favorites, send back the rest for free. For a limited time, go to literati.com slash Stephanie. 25% off your first two orders. This is their best offer available anywhere. To get it, you have to go to literati.com slash Stephanie. 25% off your first two orders. Literati.com slash Stephanie. Terms and conditions apply. Mike Kaplan, welcome. It's so nice to finally have you. I'm always so happy to talk to you. Thank you for having me here. Uh, Let me begin by asking you the big question. How has your house arrest been going for you as a a creative person and as uh, the kind of person you are? How has this curious predicament uh, impacted you? Uh, well, clearly, thank you for asking. Number one, uh, it has, it has impacted me as it has impacted so many. Uh, and, uh, I was going to be traveling a lot in this month, last month, next month, the coming months. And so like for a lot of people, the, the idea of what the future looks like exactly and what the present looks like, like heart, it almost is like, Oh, what, what is happening is such a great question that kind of brings me into, uh, I guess, whatever, whatever I do today is what is happening. So <laughs> I have, I have been doing a lot of podcasts. I do have a new album coming out. So I think I might be in fact doing more than I would have been doing had this pandemic happened at a different point along my creative trajectory. Uh, really? I, I wish I, I wish it didn't happen. I, I, I'm, I know there's a lot of people out there uh, suffering and uh, and sick and dying and uh, uncertain of their future, uh, and as well as I am uncertain of my own future, uh, as as we all are. And so this is something that has brought me continually to the to the present and to the things that I am grateful for, which include having a home and uh, my girlfriend that I live with and uh, my mother that does not live with me, but I am now talking to. Pretty much every day, uh, if not almost every day, 
in part because of this global pandemic and in part because about uh, right at the beginning of it or in mid-March, uh, my grandmother, my mother's mother, uh, passed away and uh, we had this personal loss. She was 91. It was not COVID related. It was she had been deteriorating over the, the months leading up to it. So it wasn't a surprise, but there was there was and is sadness. Uh, we miss her. We love her. But And now also, along with that sadness, we are still we are communing with each other, I think, more like me and my mother, me and other family members and loved ones and friends of my grandmother uh, online mostly now. But there's uh, stories being shared and memories and greater, in some ways, connection and appreciation of the of the relationships that we do have with the people who are currently alive, which is not something that undoes the sadness, but certainly adds adds to the entire experience, which is, I think, sort of a microcosm of or a similarity, a parallel to the way this the whole pandemic has there's there's definite sadness and and horror at you know the the disease and also the reactions to the disease and then also within that like seeing the the beautiful stories of of the various heroes of medical professions and service industry and the people you know coming together to listen to scientists and uh thoughtful governments around the world and you know community leaders and one another strangers and loved ones to do what you can and stay at home and contribute your your voice your money your time if you have those things that you can so i am very grateful to have everything that i have including uh you know friends and fellow comedians and artists people with podcasts who have the the time and the wherewithal and the the caring center to even to ask the question how are you uh, I feel that part of the answer to it is when someone's asking me I'm like I am grateful for being asked that question by a caring friend in these times and so what I've been up to recently during these times is uh answering this question as extensively as possible I appreciate that thank you uh, you know I do find it's very strange how much uh, the phone is being used as an actual phone right now. Oh, yeah. This like uh, this like harmonic convergence of humanity where we're beginning to call our elderly loved ones, and uh, you know, and and despite the fact that we can't see them, I, I keep saying, remember all the times that Grandma slipped you a five dollar bill when no one was looking? Well, now's the time to thank her. Don't visit her. Yes. But you pick up a phone. And so uh, I am heartened to hear any stories of people who are connecting with their parents or grandparents even more during this time, just as I'm heartened to hear that you're keeping busy creatively as well, because um, I got to say, it's a it's a strange time, I would guess, for you to be doing press for a new stand up album. Yes, it is. I mean, it's a strange time period, full stop. And then for any, like, it's, I guess there are people who are like, well, I, I have a friend who has worked from home for, you know, the past several years. And he's like, for me, the day-to-day is similar to that. And for me, the day-to-day of being at home any given day, like my life is in the before times, it'd be, I would be traveling, touring, you know, going from city to city, doing different shows at comedy clubs and colleges and festivals and wherever I would be. And then also in between, I would have, you know, some days that look kind of like the days look now, but it's just the, the preponderance of these, the, the immeasurable, uh, almost literally immeasurable. I mean, so far, however many days it's been, and then however many it will be of 
of being at home. I am grateful that I got to record the album. I didn't. I was grateful when I was recording it. I was like, I'm excited to be uh, the, have this the culmination of this maybe three years of working on this material, this hour of comedy, getting mm. to record it at Acme uh, Comedy Club in Minneapolis. That is one of my favorite places to perform and record. I'd recorded one of my albums there before. And so while I was recording it, I was like, this is, I'm glad to do it. I'm excited to get this material in a shape that everyone who wants to can hear it. And now even more so in a time when live performance is on hiatus, that yes. this is in, in, in one way, you know, in the context of, of everything that we're talking about, uh, I am, uh, I I do have the time to do a lot of podcasts and interviews yeah. with magazines and what the the press aspect the the telling people about the album is something that is not as severely impacted by my immobility. I, I appreciate that. I mean, I know that you've been working on this for a while. You 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 did perform this at a, a first, I believe, at Edinburgh, the Fringe. Uh, a couple of years ago. And so it's great that finally the, cul the, the culmination of all these efforts is here because I do think um, the best time for people to have a, a new comedy album, if you're not having a long road trip, is when you are confined to quarters during a plague. And um, AKA is actually interesting because uh, the title stands, I believe, for All Killing Aside. Yes. And in fact, the reason we didn't call it All Killing Aside is uh, the global pandemic during which we release it, uh, that without the context that the the hour of material is, you know, one, one of the main themes that the themes that run through it are uh, love and compassion and not murdering. Like those are the the basic things which made the title All Killing Aside for the show that I brought to Edinburgh that became this hour, this album. Uh, it made the name. Uh, kind of perfect, it seemed like, uh, until until this is the time that we're releasing it, and we had a conversation. I had a conversation with my producer. We're like, "Oh, would it would it seem like a, a tone deaf version of the the old joke of a?" Uh, uh, but other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? Like all killing aside, like check out comedy. You know, in this time where there is so much uncertainty and uh, suffering of all these different kinds. So yeah. I also I talked to my mother. <laughs> Uh, and she was like, oh, yes, don't have killing in the title. I think she would have felt that way, even if it wasn't during the pandemic. Uh, she offered, how about all kidding aside? And I was like, well, that is one thing that AKA could stand for, for my mother. Uh, and it's all killing aside for the original. And it's also uh, conveniently also known as. So the original title is also known as AKA, which could also apply to my name, uh, which was given at birth as Michael Adam Kaplan, but now I have have since changed to Mike Kaplan, spelled the the new strange way that I decided as a teenager to be. And so there's a lot of a lot of layers of meaning. The album. This is uh, a. <laughs> I I've, <laughs> I've, I've been sharing with people. Uh, I, some people have gotten advanced uh, streams of the album, and one person, one friend, said it was hilarious and layered, which I have combined to call hilarious and just uh which sort of mimics the shape of the album and the title itself which is a conceptual palindrome in a way aka a literal palindrome the material uh the material the joke at the beginning is also a sort of there's a mirror of the joke at the end and all throughout there are these parentheses kind of opening and closing conception style and i will 
I apologize for this spiel that's almost over, but well, I love the spiel because <laughs> you are so infectiously creative that like in talking about your album, I can, I could hear you getting the first two minutes for your next album, which I love. And I, I love the story of the title change. Cause you know, George Carlin went through that um, in 2001 ah. George Carlin's album was uh, going to be called. I kind of like it when a lot of people die. Right. And that was the album title and they were printing it and then 9-11 happened. So they had to change it. And then the cool thing was two years ago, uh, Kelly released like a demo version of him doing it in Hollywood and put it out with that title on vinyl uh, many, many years later after it was originally planned. But um, I, I also like the sensitivity because while the album deals with lots of great areas and, and a, a diverse spate of topics from, from bathrooms to, to, to politics, to ayahuasca, to, to Kanye. Um, you know, what I find fascinating is that most people in our culture would probably say that comedy with an edge and kindness can't really go together unless it's sarcastic somehow. And what I like the most about about the work. I like a lot of things about the work. I like the wordplay. I like how clever and funny and lovely you are. But I do like that you do deep dives into empathy, into love, into kindness, into everything the great religions are supposed to be teaching us. But while never losing the sharpness of the comedy, it never becomes anything less than a, a, a fully elevated comedic mind bringing us a, a performer playing to the top of his, his intelligence, the ability to shock. And yet you're not cynical and you, you, you don't ever punch down, but you also don't ever slide into negativity for the sake of a laugh or an applause break. And I'm, I'm curious what the path was like for you. Did you always feel compelled to bring kindness into the work? Or is that something that you have allowed more and more to come out of yourself as you've matured as a performer? Uh, what a what a thoughtful and compassionate uh, analysis and question. I really I really appreciate it. Uh, oh, I asked I, you the same thing. Don't worry. Oh, perfect, perfect. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, also, I before I answer, I will thank you for the gift of that uh, the comparison, at least structurally speaking, to uh, to Carlin, uh, like Mike Kaplan. His new album is just like George Carlin's album in that they decided to change the name after the world uh, or America. <laughs> faced a great tragedy. Um, How often does I, that, that happen? Yeah, it's, uh, so I would say the answer is I, I certainly am a different, I'm a, a more full, you know, I've not, never done growing human being, never done growing comedian as long as I'm alive, you know, like as, as long as language exists, uh, it continues to grow and change. Middle English is different than what we speak now. Old English is different than that. Latin doesn't change because it, is quote unquote dead and people don't use it regularly. And so as a, as a living growing human, uh, I, and a living growing comedian, I'm, I'm very glad to look back at, you know, my, I, I have a, a sort of a new joke about looking back at my first, my first comedy from a year later and being like, Ooh, even then like, Oh, that was no good. Thank wow. God I'm good now. And then every year looking back a year and being like, Ugh, Oh boy, thank God I'm good now. And so I'm I'm glad that I've always felt I was on an upward trajectory, which means literally speaking, like you could there's you know, there the glass is half full and half empty. And it does just it, if it is literally half full and half empty, then the way that you look at it determines like what you will do going forward. If you're like, Ugh, my comedy career is half empty, I guess I should stop because it's close to nothing or ooh, I'm on my way to full. I'm continually 
filling up. And so I do think that I've been getting, I think, technically both better as a comedian or better at deciding what comedy to do, which is sort of one of the main things that in the beginning it was like ideas would come and you'd be like, you'd be grateful for any of them. You'd be like, oh, this, is this funny? Maybe you'd ask people jokes instead of tell them jokes. And then uh, whatever the topic was, some of them might've been about things that I cared about. Some of them might've been about just movies that I had seen or experiences, a sign that I read that day or a thing a, a person said. And I didn't differentiate. I was just like, I was sort of egalitarian about it. Like now I'm more of a, a comedy dictator. Like I dictate what the comedy is as opposed to before when I was like, all the, I'll listen to all the ideas and I'll offer them all and we'll see what the people think. And now I'm like, we'll still see what the people think, but about what I've decided to talk about, which is now, I feel like this album is more, uh, I've, I've always cared about the jokes and I wanted the jokes to be thing to be jokes that I cared about. And this is the first time that the whole album is jokes that I care about, about things that I care about. And that that was at certain uh, at a point, a, a conscious choice that I, I maybe uh, maybe other people were making this choice from the get go. Maybe I, it was a I, I'm catching up, you know, where I was like, oh, like several years ago, I think I started working on this material in maybe 2016. Right. And and maybe in the couple of years before that is when I started uh, experiencing uh, like ayahuasca ceremonies and uh, which the guide that I go to will sometimes say, like, it doesn't make you more powerful. It doesn't make you better. It helps like a like a spiritual GPS, he would say. It helps tell you where you are, not even who you are, but where you are. And it helps you look at the things that you're dealing with in your life. And one of the things that uh, that I deal with in my life that I get to that I contend with is, you know, what comedy I am doing, what I am making, uh, what are the jokes I'm telling? What are the the messages in those jokes? You know, how do I make sure that, you know, as a comedian, the goal is to be funny. And also as a human, my goal is to share things that I believe in uh, and care about. And so I'd say from that point on, like, I think my my special Small, Dark, and Handsome came out in 2014, and I started working on my next album, No Kidding Then. And then also just their gradual, like incremental seeds were planted and were growing like it during ayahuasca ceremonies, during other psychedelic experiences, during I started meditating uh, somewhere around then, maybe 2016. I met my girlfriend who I love and have been with since 2016 in 2016. And uh, a great year. Nothing else happened then. And um, I... I just started reading more Buddhist authors and and more spiritual uh, writers and teachers uh, and wise folks of like all different aspects. And I I had did it, did I feel like you were being did it feel like you were being called to this, Mike, or was this just did it was it I mean did it just feel like you needed to do something to change? It, it, I'm I'm curious because it didn't seem like you were depressed or any kind of melancholy led you to need to change your life. And so I'm curious. I mean, your career was always great. So I'm curious whether it was something you felt called to do or something that you personally chose to do because you needed to change the way your life was going. Uh, I guess I, I didn't in the moment, I never thought of it as I am making a change. Uh, so in some ways, and I also now it's, it's interesting to think the, the terminology of being called, I think in a way it's, I like the, I like the idea of a calling, but I also think like to say that has a kind of, uh, it's, I, I, I shy away from it a little bit because I, in some ways feel not in control of it at all. Like, like asking right. a river, like, when did you decide to fork in that direction river? You know, it was just kind of the, the path, 
I could only see what is present and think about where I want to go and maybe face in that direction. And maybe here's a here's a good analogy, I think. Uh, in college, I remember like I was raised like culturally Jewish and kind of with a, a general idea of like, yeah, there's a God, you know, and then I got to college and I was like, is there maybe I, I was like, is there an afterlife? And I remember thinking explicitly like there's no I don't think there I don't have any proof for or against it. I don't know if anyone has any proof for or against it. So it seems like it's 50 50. Maybe maybe afterlife, maybe no afterlife. So if it's 50 50, why not just pick the one that makes me feel good, which is there right. is one. And exactly. then moving forward, I like I went through a period of uh, many years where I was atheist identified because I thought about all of the suffering in the world and the idea that the the gods that I'd heard about in a lot of religions, they're like, yeah, God is all loving and all powerful. So if God can do anything, why is it this? Why is this the yeah. thing? That includes so much, you know, so many genocides historically and and diseases. And and so inside of my head for my entire teenage life. Yeah. And so but with I eventually, uh, you know, came to re reconceptualize a a joke that I tell sometimes is, uh, you know, I used to be atheist identified and now I'm more like, why do we have to talk about it? So. The the analogy, though, is to to that time when I was like 50 50. Why? Why not? If I could make it like if the glass is half full or half empty, why not see it as half full? And maybe I see it that way because I'm sort of pre predetermined genetically or environmentally, you know, whether it's nature or nurture or some combination. But like, why do I think it? Why? Why not? Why not say it's full on the way to being fuller? Because because I don't know. And by having that attitude, I do then I think fill the cup more and also the cup gets bigger. So it always is half full, but the cup can continue to expand and expand, even though doing that also leads to so uh, leads to sentences not being finished. But with respect to the the choices that I've made, like w- whether it was someday in 2014 or 2015 during some, uh, you know, psychedelic plant medicine ceremony, I think there was one where I was like, oh, I think I could do comedy about like love and forgiveness and compassion. And I was like, if I can make it as funny as everything else that I am taught, if I can make it the funniest possible joke that I can make, then why not have the funniest possible? If the funniest joke that I could make could be about love or could be about something that I don't care about, like, why not? Why not try to make it something about a thing that I do care about? And so by making that choice, I think I I was like, it was the same way when I became vegetarian and I became vegan. I thought like, I don't know if I can do it. I I think like a lot of people are like, ooh, I, I think intellectually it makes sense. The torture of animals, I don't love it. But but it is how it has been. It is how my life has been. It is how the structures of society have been. How can it be different? I, I'm afraid. I don't know if I can do it. Do I want? I want to, but I can't, is what I think a lot of people think. And I right. thought about, I want to. I don't know if I can, but I'll try it. I'll try and see if I can do it. And if it if it doesn't work, then I won't. Because, But I'd rather it not work by trying and failing than not work. And because if you try, then you might succeed. Like. Of course, but so many of us, I mean, so many of us, and especially in comedy, feel that we have to wrap ourselves in these cloaking devices of of cynicism or or of, of uh, you know, sarcasm or negativity as a buffer against a, a cruel, cruel world. And what I think you do all the time is show that being open hearted and being kind um, isn't just a positive thing for you. And it's not just a, a, a sign of growth. 
to me, it's a sign of confidence when you have enough confidence that you don't need a veneer of hostility or toughness or arrogance or whatever, you know, male thing is uh, your, 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 your suit for the day, but you can just let the intelligence and the empathy work together. You know, you don't hide behind an attitude, behind gruffness, behind any of the male tropes. And I think that's something that is so refreshing. And then when the material is so sharp, I mean, seriously, it's just a, a whole different way, not just to be a comedian to me, but to be a man. Thank you, John. That's uh, that's very meaningful. I, I will say that I think that like like all of this, it's been a process and it's still a process and is a spectrum uh, that I earlier in my career, I feel like you look up to other comedians and you're like, how do I do comedy? How do I be a comedian? And you see like some of the tropes. And if many of the comedians are men, you see some, uh, you know, some maleness, some toxic masculinity. And you're like, well, I guess like even just starting out in comedy, there was like a message board in the Boston area of comedians where, you know, people were, were like busting each other's balls, which itself is, you know, a male, uh, a male centric or a, uh, a fallow centric, a, a certain assigned male at birth centric, uh, like, like linguistic insult description uh like nobody ever talks about ovary busting for two reasons one because it seems like women have been socialized to uh be kinder to one another in certain ways that's also a a vast oversimplification but certainly women have been socialized one way men have been socialized another way there are so many exceptions but i come starting out in boston in the boston comedy scene there was like people making fun of each other roasting each other which also does have its place like especially like the i'd say the archetype of the the best version of the roast is people who love each other saying mean things to each other because they know each other and they know that they love each other and that when that's present when people see that and they don't have all of the ingredients like when they just say the magic words without the magic uh you know the i was just listening to, i was watching duncan trussell's new show midnight gospel and one of his guests was talking about he he was like is it the magic words or the being that has the magic and they were like it's both it's like if you have you can only pass along the current if you have the current so right. if you just say the words but you don't mean them the way that they're intended to be spoken then they will like i've definitely said mean things to people in the past because i thought that it was that was what a comedian was in that moment like like hey like you, you a, an actual sad thing about your life like oh no that's not the way to roast a person who's not your friend and but and so I think that I started out like not knowing exactly uh, I didn't know all of who I would become, all of all of who I would be as a human, a man, a comedian. And so I was definitely trying things on. And I remember one time like went on a radio show and uh, a friend of mine was like, oh, be careful. They're like kind of, you know, I, I don't I got the impression that they would be, you know, uh, a typical like I don't know what I thought of a typical radio show was at the time, but I thought that they would be like shock jockey and like, you know, be busting, busting me. And so I went in with armor up and I like went at, preemptively went at them. And then they were kind of like, hey, why are you being mean? And I was like, oh, I thought you were going to be mean. And that's why I think like we uh, attack the Middle East so much, you know, exactly, exactly. That's what that this is. I mean, you just crack the mail code. This is the thing that men do, and it keeps them from being real men. Instead, they're just being these, 
you know, posing projections of what they think masculinity is supposed to be based on movies, based on uh, an outdated idea of dad, based on how they were treated by their peer group. And, you know, I think I think men lose a lot at a certain age in their uh, early teens when when their parents stop raising them and their peer groups start raising them. Mm. And, you know, I've always felt the greatest gift you can ever have is uh, not blending in too well as a child. Whatever makes you a freak as a child will make you unique as an adult if you're not ashamed of it, if you learn to understand it, if you learn that the thing that makes you special isn't the thing that makes you a reject, the stone the builder refused and whatnot. That's that's beautiful. I don't. I'm gonna look up the stone the builder refused, and oh, also a pretty good song. Uh, the the, the uh, you know that Lenny Bruce once said, "I'm not a comedian. I'm Lenny Bruce," exactly. and and so I can offer. I mean, like, I'm not a man. I'm me. You know, exactly. like it's it, it's so valuable to. to uh, here's the thing: is like, and it's like a. There's these two flip sides. Like my whole life, I I grew up small. There was almost no way for me to fit the 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 bill, the description of the macho man. Like I wasn't. Yeah, me too. I, it would all have been pretending. Like I did collect baseball cards for a while, but not because I loved baseball. It was more that I'm like, ooh, look at these numbers on the back, you know. And then, like I I di- I was I was sort of forced to. I, I'm. I had to slash eventually got to like figure out what are the things that I like? What are the things that I am good at? What can I do? And I mean, as we all like we see in the world examples of ways to be. And then why not? Why not see anyone, anyone who lives a way that you think is valuable, anybody who seems like they are fully realizing themselves in in art or in religion or in their career or in their family, in relationships, like see somebody who like you can never know what's going on inside a person uh, for real. Like I've heard a thing I like that said, don't compare your insides to someone else's outsides. Like if you just look at somebody's Instagram uh, or look at their Facebook, like the, the curated view of their life. But if you listen to what people say, if you like listen to beautiful art or see beautiful art or or hear a speaker speak and you can, you know, game, recognize game, be like, oh, that person has gone through things and and learned that person has wisdom, then like follow the wisdom, be like, listen to the wisdom and like eventually then look back through your own life uh, is what I have done. I'm like, oh, wow, look, look at all the ways that I, you know, made mistakes or didn't know I was ignorant. I was a child. I was even a grown child. And uh, listen to other people, listen to people who have different experiences that and that's the thing that you, you mentioned confidence. I've always had confidence, but it's le- legitimately been over the course of time becoming more like in the beginning of my comedy career, I was delusionally self-confident. And that's what let me get on stage because I'd been uh, university on Tuesday yes, said analysis included. Oh, in sorry the- about that. Johns Hopkins University has nothing to do with it. But you, I was. Oh, it was, yeah. It was much the same for me. I mean, I couldn't believe when I first started doing it uh, as someone who had never had confidence for most of his entire life, the overwhelming battery of confidence that propelled me to get into it. And then I was able to do what you said when we began of saying, oh, wait, this this is terrible. I got to get better now. Uh, I'll always be grateful that I was so bad uh, when I first started because um, I had so much confidence that it made me want to do it. And it made audiences like material that now I think is just terrible and awful. But that that sudden burst and then the the beautiful thing about what you know when we talked about this before the the tough times the failure the sorrow the darkness is that all of that is a bit of a 
it's just screaming at you to let it be a lesson and not a burden to let it be something that allows you to grow and, and not crumple. You and I were talking once about, about hecklers. Um, and you said something kind of beautiful about it that kind of like related the process of being heckled. I mean, I, I extrapolate things and make it way too cosmically significant, but I mean that you, you compared it sort of like sometimes a married couple, uh, will be together and there'll be, uh, a sin and adultery, and yet it'll bring the couple closer, which at the time I thought was a very strange parallel for, um, for, for a heckler. But I, I came to really understand it because the relationship with the audience is, is the marriage and something bad happening is right there as a tool to make you better at being who you are and who you want to be and making you better at what you do. Oh yeah. And, and similarly, you know, be, just because there are couples that have faced an infidelity and then come out stronger for it. And there've been audiences uh, that have had a heckler in them that have turned out with the comedian saying a very funny thing and having a beautiful heckler story that people love in the future. Uh, that doesn't mean uh, that we want, we recommend uh, that's a good, it's a good way to look back, describe what's happened and learn and grow from it, but don't prescribe it moving forward to be like, well, that's how I, that's how I grow here. Let's add some more unnecessary pain to the mix and try to alchemize it into joy. Uh, because don't worry, they'll, they'll be pain, uh, to, to alchemize. You don't have to go searching for it. Like I remember I just had a, I was fortunate to have on my podcast, uh, Eric Adams, the borough president of Brooklyn, who, uh, are you familiar with him? I know who he is. He is a, he is a, a wonderful, a kind, wise, fascinating man. And he shared with me something that his mother told him, which is that, you know, if you're fortunate enough to live long, you'll be unfortunate enough to experience pain. And then uh, I'm paraphrasing, but he said that she said something like, and what you do with that pain then is is the thing, is yeah. the is the story, how you convert that, how you use that pain and make it into purpose. Yes, exactly. You're either going to use it to create brilliant art or to buy a gun and go to a clock tower. I mean, the choice is going to be yours, ultimately, what you do with the pain. And the best thing you can do with it is just tell yourself, grow and and then continue to evolve. I mean, that was essentially Jesus's big message, which upsets a lot of conservative Christians, I know, for some reason. But, you know, your your material as a creative should always be changing and evolving. But it speaks to the uniqueness. They they, they asked Bob Dylan uh, not too long ago, you know, Bob Dylan stopped playing guitar in concert 18 years ago. And um, maybe he'll play like one or two songs occasionally, but mostly he's only been playing keyboards for 18 years. And uh, an interview asked him why he did it. And he said, I couldn't find anybody else who can play like I play. If ah. I could find a piano player who can play it the way I do, I won't have to play it anymore. And that's sort of it. What is your damage? What is your defect? Congratulations. You're special. I that's beautiful. I think I might have seen one of his last shows. I was at BU and he performed at BU. Uh, I was started there in 2000 and I saw him there sometime in the next couple of years. So I wonder if I saw one of his last guitar shows. But uh, uh, I'm sure you did. Also, with respect to uh, to Jesus, I, ha I have I, I shared this recently uh, online that I, I've recently accepted Jesus Christ as a pretty cool dude. You know, he is uh, he said so many great things and uh, at, like anything like the infinite game of telephone that life is, uh, you know, people hear what they want and pass along what they want. And it's there is, you know, as much as the the media and government and, you know, at, there there can be distortions, but there is some 
there is some objective truth or some subjective truth. There's some there's some truth, and there are things that can be known at least within ourselves, and then we can recognize these things within others. Like I feel, I feel that you know the things that you say about me and my comedy, which are so kind and thoughtful and beautiful and complimentary. Like they are, my my girlfriend Rini shared with me this concept a few years ago. Uh, the idea that we see the world not as it is, but as we are, that truly we never can see anything outside of ourselves. that everything we see is a, a reflection of our own filter, of our own seeing, so that anything that you say that is kind about me is secretly also coming from inside the house of you. And I, I can confirm, like, you're... I love watching your comedy and listening to you on your radio show and being your friend, like the things that you do, you take in so much of the world and then, and share it. And it, it comes out as like, like Rumi said that, you know, we're all these different flutes, different shaped flutes that the universe plays its music through some literal music, some comedy, some art, some activism, some combinations. And that, you know, you, you play a, the, the universe plays a beautiful fugelsang flute. <laughs> Well, I mean, I like the Jesus comparison because I, I never I, I would compare you to Jesus in many ways. I mean, and, and he was someone who was extremely loving. That was the whole point of all of his public appearances. And yet his material was still so edgy. They had to kill him. So that, <laughs> I don't want you to be that edgy. But my God, uh, he sure went for it. Mike, I, I, I'm so grateful that you joined us here. I want everybody, everybody, everybody to see you live when you are able to see Mike live again. Um, this is a beautiful new album in the meantime about truth, love, and not murdering people. It is called AKA. It is available now. And get all of Mike's records, because I mean, what are you going to do? You're confined the barracks. Do yourself a favor. <laughs> I'm Melda, no kidding. But definitely get AKA. Uh, and when we are allowed to come up above the ground again, like the end of THX 1138, I hope that you will go to see this gentleman live. He is one of the best writers and best performers in the game. And I'm really honored that uh, you would bring your wit and humanity over here, Mike. Thank you so, so much. Uh, I thank you so much for having me and for saying all of that. And if I may take just a few seconds, I will, uh, it's you, you, you didn't, uh, you didn't know this, but there was potentially, uh, the final bit of the spiel that I'm happy to offer now, uh, because I like saying it because it's, you know, we're not performing live. This is podcasts are the only place that I've been honing material, uh, and and so I offer this with both apology and no apology. That is my comedy style. Sorry, not sorry for joking, not joking. And uh, it's that the all killing aside, ask me anything by me, Mike Kaplan slash Michael Adam Kaplan does now come to a conclusion with my my general. I love the album so much. I'm so happy with the material. I hope everyone enjoys it. And thus ends my AKA AMA about the album that came out on the 8th of May. So thank you, John. Thank you very much, Mr. Kaplan. Picture your face in the mirror. You see all those wrinkles around your eyes? How about crow's feet or large under eye bags? Well, imagine they're gone. And I'm not talking about some risky, expensive surgery, just gone in minutes. It's called Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in minutes. It's, it's the edge you're looking for. Simply put, you'll be blown away by the results. Plexiderm 
can give you the confidence you'll need to be yourself out at work or with friends. The best part is Plexiderm goes on clear so nobody knows you're using it, unless, of course, you tell them, which is sort of bragging. Go to triplexiderm.com and use my code SEXYLIBERAL for 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling one 800 685 1292 and mentioning code sexy liberal. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today and use the code sexy liberal at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com. Now more than ever we're all thinking about our hygiene. All okay? day long, all day strong. We're washing our hands and sneezing into our That's right. But we are still taking a huge carry of virus with us everywhere our phone yeah they're a vector for disease and we rarely clean them i mean the other day we tried wiping one down I and i was like come on girl you know we know we need this. we know exactly what we need we are constantly touching our phones with our hands and even pressing them to our face yes. which is a no-no these days it's time to take cleaning your phone seriously that's right the clean phone pro sanitizer uses medically proven uv light technology to kill 99.99 percent of all bacteria that comes in contact with your phone that's right it's better than wipes and safe for your device because you can't boil it your Mm-mm. phone right no, you can't. and the clean phone pro gets every inch of your phone clean with the nine high power uvc lights mm. dedicated wireless charging pad on top of the chamber wow you can be sanitizing other items while wirelessly charging your phone or just use the clean phone pro as your go-to charging station at any time. Fully removable top means easier fit for more items and larger items. So, you know, you can be sanitizing your, your behind off. You, depending on the size of your behind, yes. maybe you're behind too. Maybe. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Here's the deal. You got to go to thecleanphone.com today and get one for just $89 in free shipping when you use the code SEXYLIBERAL. If you're serious about hygiene, it's time to get serious about cleaning your phone. Go to thecleanphone.com and keep your phone truly clean. Remember, use the code SEXYLIBERAL for a two-day free shipping <laughs> and we will ship immediately. That's right. That's thecleanphone.com thecleanphone.com Thank you again to Mike Kaplan. His album is called uh, AKA Dig Into His Stuff. Really smart. Um, there's a word to help explain why people are all mindlessly eating during the quarantine. It's a Japanese word, uh, kuchisabishi, and it literally means lonesome mouth or longing to eat. And people use this word a lot to mean eating when bored or sometimes stress eating. We don't have a word for that in English. You know what else we don't have a word for in English? Uh, portion control. Okay, here's a good thing. Uh, James Woods. <laughs> James Woods, who I love, um, great actor. Great actor, uh, even when you sort of realize, oh, he wasn't acting, was he? Um, and a completely morally empty vessel of a, of a shell of a, of a man, but terrific actor. I mean, I, I, I would love to have him on my show uh, someday and just talk um, craft and being evil. But uh, I can respect that. Uh, lots of artists were evil, and uh, I get it. Um, so, but, but James Woods, his, his evil, his hate maybe his evil makes him a great actor. Maybe his evil gives him an edge, but his hate makes him do stupid things. 
And uh, I was really proud to actually correct James Woods, who has retweeted my non-political jokes in the past, full disclosure. Uh, he was a mensch. And all of his followers attacked him. I had a joke he retweeted, and he got a lot of crap for it. And uh, his fans were mad at him. He's like, what? It's a funny joke. So I, I, how can I hate him, no matter what a revolting sexual predator and hypocrite and racist apologist he is? But um, there was this uh, uh, marquee somewhere outside of a, a radio station. And um, they put up on it. It was very, very funny. Even on Gilligan's Island, they listened to the professor, not the millionaire. That was CD 102.5 FM somewhere. And James Woods, <laughs> he tweeted, uh, and they never got rescued. Liberal logic hashtag. And I had to point out, actually, James, um, they did get rescued on Gilligan's Island in multiple TV movies. And uh, they wound up going back and turning the island into a resort and their business, their small business flourished and prospered. They were great capitalists. And then the Harlem Globetrotters stopped by. So there you go. That's my slam. Uh, it, it helps to, you know, know about culture like Shakespeare and the Gilligan's Island spinoff uh, TV movies. All right. Latest poll. This is big. This is the sort of thing that Joe Biden needs to have shouted at him. Eight in 10 Americans are supporting expanding Medicaid and health coverage for all. That's the majority. Over 79% of us now significantly support expanding Medicaid to cover many low and moderate income Americans. A majority of respondents said they strongly support expanding Medicaid. 21% say they somewhat support the proposal. I think 58% plus 21% is a big majority. I went to public school, but I think that's true. Here's the interesting part. This is uh, Newsweek reported this. An overwhelming majority of Democrats do support health care for all. While the expansion of Medicaid is also popular among independents, with 83% of independents supporting the idea and 65% of Republicans supporting it too. Only 8% of, of respondents said they don't support any expansion of Medicaid. And we already know who they're going to vote for. This is good news. We are becoming more decent. How many decades did it take? For people to realize, oh, wait, it's actually shitty not to give women the vote. Oh, wait, it's actually shitty to have these uh, apartheid Jim Crow laws. Oh, wait, it's actually shitty to not let gay taxpaying citizens marry who they love in a free country. And now people are realizing, hey, it's actually kind of stupid to deprive Americans of the same access to health care that is enjoyed by all of our all of our capitalist allies. Um 39% of Americans in an AP NORC poll favored all male elections which is up from 19% two years ago. Uh, Democrats are much more likely to favor that. 40% of voters are opposed. 48% um, favor male-only voting if the pandemic is ongoing in November. Friends, if almost half of us support male-only voting now, imagine how huge it'll be a few months from now. And they told this to the president, and he strongly supported it because he thought it was male-only, you know, Donald Trump could actually tell women he will get rid of their suffrage and his female fans would thank him. They don't know what words mean. And that's what is the world we find ourselves in. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on the little podcast that could. It's really a pleasure. I do a show on Sirius XM uh, progress every evening. We've had lots of great guests. It's been really fun broadcasting from my home every night. We're sort of like the, uh, well, we're sort of like the dive bar that still gets a waiver to stay open. We're packed with all kinds of comedians and journalists and celebrities. A lot of good music, a lot of laughs. Occasionally, we let a Trump troll in. They try to pick a fight, but we, 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 we treat them good. So I hope you'll join us. 
artists. You can get SiriusXM and listen for free through the end of May. Please check out my website, johnfuglesang.com. Normally, I would tell you to come to all the live dates. There are no live dates, but we are hoping we can reschedule them and make announcements as soon as we can. There will also be some pretty cool announcements from Stephanie Miller and the Sexy Liberal uh, Live Comedy Universe very soon. So watch this space. I'm John Fugel saying thank you so much. We take your letters, uh, so please write me either on Facebook or write me at uh, johnpeoplesang.com. Would love to hear from you. Would love to read them on the air. And, oh, I need to say, this week on the show, uh, Congressman Ted Lieu joins me on SiriusXM and a very special date night with Richard Marks and Daisy Fuentes calling in from their quarantine together. Guys, remember, before we tackle the real problems, let's tackle voter fraud. Because if we keep poor people from voting, we'll never have to tackle the real problems. And that's how the Republican Party makes it work. Thank you guys so much. And if any of your Christian loved ones get in your way and get in your face and pretend it's possible to support both the Gospels and the art of the deal, Proverbs 31, 8 to 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And thump the Bible thumpers with the Bible. Peace. Peace.